This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. This week, we revisit a best-of conversation with Australian home gardener Penn Pender. Enjoy. In late June every year, we as gardeners and lovers of the great outdoors experience one of the cardinal moments of the seasonal year. A moment when time seems to hesitate for one split second and ease just slightly in its growing, reaching, and building up. Like that moment at the very fullness of the inhale of a deep cleansing breath. (sighs) Breathe in then pause, and then the energetic shift on the other side where the exhale begins. That is the summer solstice for me in the garden. You can feel life reaching toward it in anticipation, and then just on the other side, you can feel ever so slightly a sense of the next energetic cycle taking over. It's a moment so very different and yet remarkably similar in every place I've ever cultivated. It's a moment where it's very clear that while we each garden, hike in, and bond with specific places, we're also very much cultivating the same place, this great, generous, bountiful, spinning planet we know as Mother Earth. I've always had gardening family and friends flung far and wide, but it's perhaps never felt more true than now, with the last decade's advent and my far more recent embrace of an online gardening community through social media. As I share pictures of my rudbeckia and my buckwheats, my sunsets over oak woodlands, and the rising activity and chatter of the acorn woodpeckers or chrysalid of pipevine swallowtail butterflies, both endemic to my place in Northern California, another gardening friend is sharing photos of rudbeckia in Maine, another of unrelenting rain in the Midwest, and another is sharing photos of her final harvest of late autumnal medlars in Victoria, Australia, all the way around the world from me. And yet, we're both digging into the same soil in some way, connected from a great distance. Victoria, Australia is a full 17 hours ahead of us here in Northern California and is situated in the Southern and Eastern hemispheres. As a whole, Australia is the world's longest island and its smallest continent. Victoria experienced one of its hottest and wettest seasons on record in 2016, where their average annual rainfall is about 25 inches. By comparison, in my summer dry and hot and winter wet Mediterranean climate here in Northern California, our average annual rainfall distributed between the months of November and April is about 26 inches. When my Australian gardening friend speaks of 40 degrees Celsius, this translates to about 104 degrees Fahrenheit. As I write, there's a predicted high of 111 degrees in my garden this week. It is this home gardening friend from the far side of the world who joins us today via Skype to share her journey. I'll let her take it from here. Thank you very much for for having me on, on your program. My name's Penn Pender, and I'm 48, and I live in a little village called Macedon in Victoria, Australia. I'm a stay-at-home mum, um, so gardening at home, and I've just recently 
uh, been learning how to throw pots on the wheel, and I'm really enjoying that. If you were looking at the Australian continent, where does Macedon sit? Victoria is the southern point of, of Australia, so it's right down at the bottom. You've got Melbourne right down by the coast, and then Macedon's about 60 kilometres northwest of Melbourne. It's quite a cool climate down here. It's not as hot as it is further up. And so you get all the four seasons, which is what really appealed uh, when we thought about moving here, because I, I would definitely miss the seasons. It can get up into the 40s here. Uh, it can often be a very sort of dry heat, so it does get pretty hot. Um, but we, it can go down to, you know, freezing as well. Sometimes we have like a little bit of snow as well, and, and certainly frost. It's, it's quite quite a similar climate to, I'd say, like a Mediterranean-type climate, mm-hmm. where you do get the extremes of, of a dry heat, but also does get sort of cold and, and the frost too. Describe the, the native surroundings that dominate your natural regions. Are you mm. in mountains? Are you on plains? Yeah, it's it's a bit of both. It's We live at the, the base of an extinct volcano called Mount Macedon and there's a lot of old volcanic rock and around this area they're not huge mountains they I suppose they've been eroded over time uh, but also plains as well Mount Macedon is a place where um, after the sort of gold rush in the 1850s a lot of wealthy Melbournians came up here to find a cool retreat for the summertime to escape the intense heat down in Melbourne um, and they discovered, you know, that the soil was really good, beautiful sort of rich volcanic soil. And so it was quite easy to grow exotics as, as well as the natives. So there were a lot of great gardens and still are around this area. Where this garden is, we, when I'm looking in front, there's a, a school pine plantation, which is obviously just lots of pine trees, but a few gum trees in there as well. But behind us, behind the house, is, is you look out onto Mount Macedon, and the Macedon National Park. Uh, so we're very fortunate because we can just sort of walk out and there's lots of uh, beautiful native gum trees and blackwoods and mountain ash and lots of lovely wildflowers too, um, like lots of orchids. And there's a beautiful um, trailing flower called Hardenbergia, Wandering Joy. Mm. Um, I'm still learning a lot of my natives. I'm not that brilliant on them, but um, there is you know, certainly a lot of them. And depending on the weather conditions, like this year, we had a really, there were lots and lots of wildflowers uh, because we'd had a good um, a good spring with lots of, lots of rain. Now, speaking of seasons, you are on the cusp of autumn there. And we're definitely sort of in, in autumn now. Lots of incredible mushrooms around at the moment and mm. beautiful uh, autumn colours. And where did you move from, Penn, and when did you move, and why did you move? We moved from a little village in in Suffolk in England called Kersey, which is about an hour and a half away from London. And we moved, gosh, nearly nearly nine years to the day. And my brother-in-law was moving out here, and uh, we sort of had a look and, you know, just thought... (laughs) thought it would be um, a great place to bring up. We've got three kids and thought it would be a lovely place, uh, an expansive place for them to grow. 
uh, grow up. And uh, my husband's from South Africa. And so to have some of the freedom that we would both had growing up, because um, I was lucky I lived in a big garden growing up. And Tell us how you how you came to gardening, your mm. your first sort of experiences and, yeah. and kind of when you knew you were a gardener. I've always really loved plants and from a very early age. My first memories of, of plants and gardens are in Jamaica. Uh, we spent three years in the early 70s and they're probably they're my earliest gardening memories. Mm. And I remember being really wowed by the size of the giant leaves there, watching the hummingbirds drink nectar from, from the flowers and then going up to the mountains, there, the Blue Mountains, and seeing these amazing lush steaming forests up there. And it was really inspiring. Um, so I always felt a big connection to nature and plants. They always kind of made me happy. And then moving back to London and... <laughs> felt a bit of a downer because I remember it was November and freezing cold mm. and very gray and it just seemed such a huge contrast between the like the vibrant colors of the Caribbean but then in that in that garden in London my dad gave us each me and my two brothers a little a little small garden each mm. and so I, I loved the garden that I had a little pear tree and I suppose that's when I first started gardening and and then in the years to follow I was just always very aware um, of, of, of gardens. I used to love visiting gardens, other people's gardens. And we grew up in a lovely big garden in Suffolk, which was an old watermill. And it have a, had a beautiful river running through it. And I spent, I just remember so much time outside, I'd have to sort of drag myself inside. And although I didn't do much gardening there per se, it was, it was just kind of all around me. And mm-hmm. I think I just soaked a lot of that, um, those experiences and, and, and love of nature growing up. It was only later on when, when we had our sort of first home in Suffolk with my husband that I really started gardening properly. And what was the garden like you left? Was it a really well-established garden? Was that a hard, hard loss? Uh, not really. It, it was, it's a, it was a beautiful little cottage garden and had a beautiful barn with um, barn owls that live there. Uh, it was a very peaceful place. But I've, I suppose because I've moved around such a lot, leaving a, a garden has always been okay for me. It's been, you know, I always think I've had a wonderful experience there and now mm. sort of moving on to the next one. Um, so it was okay. Uh, the There, there are diff- a lot of differences between gardening in in England, yeah. or certainly that garden to here. Dad, in that, yeah, that must have been quite a shift. Yeah, a big shift. <laughs> because um, obviously you don't get the extremes out there. And although Suffolk is quite a dry, dry county, so, um, and in fact, I, I think one of my biggest gardening influences uh, has been Beth Chateau. Mm. And her garden in and Essex wasn't that far away, so I, I visited quite a few times, and that was made a big impression on me, mm. using the right plant for the right place, and uh, particularly her dry gravel garden. Yeah. I always used to love that and stand in it, and so naturally when I look at the gum trees here with the light shining through them, I often think of her garden. Describe this new garden for us and what it was like when you first came to it. How how big is it and how much have you 
altered it or added to it or mm. gardened it in this nine years? Okay, well, it's two acres and it's got a, a, a front garden and a back garden. The front garden is it has a, a dry garden. It um, When we first arrived, it was a lovely old couple that lived here and I would say their, their kind of gardening style was bit more sort of old-fashioned so I've gradually been replacing their layout but I really wanted to do a dry garden at the front something that I didn't have to water so I put things that are really tough um, like grasses oregano I find oregano being a wonderful thing for all the pollinators they Mm -hmm. really love it and it's so tough Um, now when you say that so is that so I I I mean, this is all brand new to me. I have no idea mm. what it's like to garden in Australia, but it sounds mm. not dissimilar from interior Northern California. We are on yeah. volcanic soil. We are three and a half hours from the coast. So it, we, we are pretty far away from a coastal influence. Do you have issues with things like invasive plants? So like oregano is very aggressive here. I wouldn't consider it Invasive, like it's not going to mm-hmm. take over a you know a neighboring native community, but mm. it is very aggressive and will spread. What is it like there? Mm. It's it's not too bad, I think, because particularly where where this is in the dry garden, it you know it, it has to be really you know it, it can't really grow that abundantly, mm-hmm. but it's just super tough. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't, it hasn't been a, a problem um, in, in that garden. And I, I find it sort of a great sort of, uh, sort of feed for, for the bees, butterflies later on when there's not much else around. It's so, um, so pretty. So that's been all right. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be. But yes, I think it sounds like your climate's actually very, very similar mm-hmm. to, to here. Um, but I do that. This garden, I really try not to, to water that that dry garden at all during the summer. And I'm always kind of amazed at the end of the summer when everything's been scorched, and <laughs> um, you think, "Gosh, how's it going to? Is it going to get through again?" And it does. And that always amazes me, and it kind of gives me lots of respect for these um, plants. Roses have been a big surprise because I always thought they were kind of dainty little things, but they're really not, and they are actually pretty tough. Yeah. Um, so I've had actually a lot of nice surprises, things that, um, like the, the Daphne Odoras here, there's a lot of mm. them, uh, and they grow, they love it here. They really are very happy here. And again, it was something that I struggled to grow um, back in the UK. So it's been funny. There's been uh, things that have, you know, lots of, like, lots of gardening surprises I've found. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. The summer solstice is just past for those of us in the western and northern hemispheres. A long, warm summer lies in front of us. And now, bit by bit each day, we're losing a little bit of daylight and gaining a little bit of dark. Today, we're joined by Australian home gardener Penn Pender, who is on the opposite side of the world, and day by day, she is now gaining daylight once again. Shared realities like this remind me forcefully that while I cultivate my place and you cultivate yours, in our broadest understanding of these terms, we are all cultivating the same shared ground on our generous and abundant planet. This awareness for me encourages even greater mindfulness. We'll be back after a break to hear more from Jamaican-born, British-raised, Australian gardener Penn Pender. Stay with us. 
Hey, it's Jennifer. As I speak to you, I've recently had a wonderful visit to the city of Portland, Oregon. There, I got to meet up with great garden folk from around the region. I presided over two days of board meetings with the Pacific Horticulture Society and got to visit some inspiring gardens, public and private. I communed with plant people, met native bees and flies and butterflies of Portland. I even met some new plants, most of which declined to come home with me, as you might imagine. There is a world of climate difference between my home in Northern California and just eight hours north. But for me, the takeaway from the whole visit was this. We really are all in this together. Most of the people I interacted with were gardeners. They liked to talk plant lust and container envy and new garden books. But conversation went so much bigger most of the time. People wanted to talk climate change as fires are burning across Southern Oregon and Northern California. They wanted to talk summer dry, resource appropriate gardening ways. They wanted to talk about building community through gardening across political, socioeconomic, and cultural divides. They wanted to share why they garden and the well-being that gardens bring to all communities. They wanted to talk about why gardening matters and how to make it matter in the positive ever more creatively. That's my big hope and dream to keep preaching the gospel of the garden and keep sharing voices that embody that. It's at the heart of why I garden. I think it's at the heart of why you and Penn Pender garden too. It's quantum gardening at its very best. Now back to this best of conversation with Penn Pender who reminds me of all these things. In that front dry garden, about how big is that space, Penn? So of the, your two acres, about how much is in front and how much yeah, is in back? Yeah, just, ooh, it's probably about, it's not, it's not as much as a third, it's less than a third. Okay. So you talked about grasses up there and you talked about yeah. oregano up there. What kind of grasses and then besides the grasses, what else do you have up there? Okay, I've got, um, I've got a lot of grape plants like Santalina mm-hmm. and lavenders, uh, I've got Virginia. Virginia, uh, lots and lots of uh, sedum, which again does really, really well. For Bina bonariensis, I'm gradually putting more irises in and roses, mm-hmm. steeper, gigantic grass. There's also like a native grass. There's a Banksia rose. There's also on the other side of the, the dry garden, there's a big blue spruce tree, mm-hmm. which, is, which, is, which is lovely and it provides a bit of shade too. And, and a maple. So there's lots of, when I look out onto the front garden, there's a lot of trees and, and looking out on, on onto the pine plantation too. Mm-hmm. And what direction is that? That would be south facing. Okay. And then walk us through the the back garden. Take us around. Okay. So when you go through through the, the back of the garden, we've got an, an undercover area, which is where we sit out and eat um, outside. And I've also got a little my potter kick wheel there and some clay and in amongst that there's I've planted lots of ferns and anemones so it's, it's like a nice sort of cool green area especially mm-hmm. in the heat of the, the summer it's mm-hmm. lovely to go out there into the shade and sort of see the green 
I've also got a very small area of, of gravel with a fig and citrus trees. Mm. The warmth of the, the bricks sort of kind of shelter the fig and the, the citrus, so they seem to like it there. We've got a beautiful native hibiscus, which has oh. purple flowers. I don't know if you have anything similar, but it just flowers its socks off all all winter, but then uh, for a lot of the, the rest of the year too, it's a great, great plant. And then as you're sort of moving further down, there's, uh, I've got a, a cutting patch. So I've got four raised beds, quite long beds full of dahlias and roses, starting to put more chrysanthemums in and cosmos. And so there's flowers for the house and for giving to people. Further down, there's vegetable patch, which quite a few raised beds down there. And beside that, there's a rose bed um, with honeysuckle and wisteria. And that that area, I don't water. I water the veg beds and the flower beds, but not the the rose bed. Mm-hmm. Would you say your your heart is equally divided between flowers and vegetables or do you feel a stronger sort of tug toward toward either one gosh i don't know i it's pretty equal yeah but i think if if someone said (laughs) you could only grow flowers or you could only grow vegetables i think i i think i would choose flowers but growing vegetables i i really do um enjoy them and it's to me, it's so satisfying if I'm cooking, just be able to nip out the back door and go and pick um, fresh vegetables. That really, that never gets old for me. And uh-uh. uh, in fact, I think my, my family just fed up me saying, yeah, <laughs> getting so excited about that. But that really is a, a, a wonderful thing. But equally, I love being able to just go out the back door and pick flowers mm-hmm. for the table. It's yeah. also just as good. So what kinds of vegetables do you have in right now? Yeah, well, we're coming to the end of the, the this growing season. So I've got some tomatoes left. Uh, we've had zucchini. I grew some gem squash, lots of different kinds of lettuce and kale and spinach. What else? Uh, um, lots of basil and coriander. I tend to use things that we that we will use, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've grown sort of things before that people didn't eat that much. So if, uh, I, I'm really quite, I just choose what we what we eat. Are there native vegetables to Australia that that you yes, learned about when you moved uh, there? Warragul greens, which, which and I have grown them and they, they're very, very nice. And you can also use them as a great mulch. Uh, a, 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 a living mulch, mm. um, which is very good. Uh, there are lots of uh, native spices and herbs. Uh, we've got them growing wild as well. There's one called ma- mountain pepper, which is very nice. There's another one called kangaroo paw. Mm. So I'm still learning about them. But yes, there's certainly lots of um, native uh, vegetables. Tell us about your wildlife, because I've seen a couple pictures of your wildlife, and I find this pretty interesting. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. Uh, it's, yeah, it's so exciting for me, having not grown up with, with the, the animals here. They're, they're wonderful. They're, um, we have kangaroos. Uh, and in fact, we have a, there's a, a male kangaroo. They often, when, when they're growing up, they, they're sort of booted out of the mob of kangaroos. And so the, the, the single males have to sort of fend for themselves. And there's one that 
quite often comes in into the garden here and he he just sort of nibbles the grass but you know they're they're amazing though because they're such big animals yeah uh, we get uh we, we do get wombats which are very cute um and koalas you we've occasionally had them in the garden and that's a big treat to see them yeah. they make the most funniest sounds and we get possums and beautiful birds uh, cockatoos you know, white cockatoos black cockatoos um, galahs, beautiful rosellas, and, and also lots of beautiful little birds too. So the, the bird life here is incredible. Mm. And is that year round? Yes. Yeah. And do yeah. any of those bigger animals like the kangaroo or the wombat, or do they cause any trouble in the garden or are they just sort they of... Ha they haven't for me. I have heard stories where kangaroos will just, a bit like deer, that they'll eat, or, or rabbits, they'll, they'll eat anything but mm -hmm. for some reason they've seemed to be leaving <laughs> my garden alone yeah. and it's just like the occasional bit of grass that they'll nibble uh the cockatoos have taken a bit of a shine to my sunflowers this year but i sort of feel you know i've, I've enjoyed them for a bit so that they can have some too the, the parrots do seem to love my plum trees as well so <laughs> <laughs> but uh but i I suppose I sort of feel like, you know, we've had some ourselves, and so they're sort of welcome to it too. Right, right. So I want to get back to this gardening group. One, because I, I wish I belonged to one. Um, <laughs> and But I, I love this different way that different gardeners are in their gardens. Like some people are very social in their gardens, and other people are very solitary in their gardens. Talk about the way you interact in your garden mm. and the, the dynamics of this gardening group and how it works for you. Well, I absolutely love this gardening group. It's been such a source of many, many good times. So we meet on a Friday morning and we usually start around the kitchen table with tea or coffee and usually something homemade from, from the garden, cake with rhubarb and apple or something like that. And then we sort of just have a good old chat. Uh, we're talking about gardening, but also things that are going on in our lives. And then we head out into the garden and we sort of work and it's amazing how much you can get done with quite a few people mm -hmm. in a short space of time so we always always feel great after that and it's so good to see what other people are doing we often swap seeds and seedlings and or if we've got extra produce and we'll also be handing that out and so it's a great way of, of sharing and I think all of us really look forward to every week. There's about 15 of us and people, you know, with jobs and things, it's not always that, that size. Right. But it's something that we all feel very strongly that we want to just carry on. So you like take a rotation of whose garden you're going yes. to. Describe what you did the last time you got together in someone's garden. Like what kinds of tasks did you take on? Ah. Well, it's usually a lot of lot of weeding, yeah. uh, which is fine, especially if you've got a whole bunch of you, then it actually goes very quickly. Yeah. Uh, planting um, new seedlings and, and then making sure that it's been watered. We often put newspaper down on, on areas that are very weedy and, and give that a really good soaking and then put mulch on top of that, mm -hmm. things like pea straw or, or hay. Um, and sometimes we, we've done sort of bigger projects like uh, um, making like a, a greenhouse or making a compost area. Uh, so we, we've done sort of bigger things as, as well. Um, but um, 
it's really lovely every time we go to someone's garden you see how it's progressing as well so mm. we you know you really get a lot of ideas from from it yeah yeah and that's quite a posse of people to yeah. to to be <laughs> your on your team as it were how long have you been together well i think they've been going for probably about 11 years, 11, 12 years, so mm. quite, a, quite a long time. And it's lovely because our children have grown up together. Yeah. And when we first started off, our children were a lot smaller and they'd be running around the garden with us too, which was fun. And I think all those children, actually, they've, they've all seemed to, along with the vegetable gardening group at school, they all seem to have an appreciation and love of plants, which I'm so happy about. And what are the ages of your children? My oldest, uh, Hope, is 19. Uh, my middle son, Luke, is 17. And my youngest, Amy, is 15. And do you consider gardening to be something that the whole family is involved in, your husband and your kids and you, or just some of you, or just you? Well, it's sort of a bit of a mix. I think my husband really enjoys gardening, but luckily for me, he loves doing the bits that I don't enjoy so much, like mowing the lawn and doing tobery and that kind of thing. So I kind of pretty much do everything else, um, the, the layout and um, the kids do a little bit of gardening. It's, they don't do heaps of gardening, but what's really lovely is they they spend a lot of time in the garden uh, particularly with their friends mm-hmm. just started uh, doing a lovely cactus and succulent bed with my oldest which we've really enjoyed doing and actually she's been encouraging me because I've always had a few pot plants in the house but she's really uh, got into them this last couple of years so we do a lot of um, indoor plant plants now together which I really enjoy so what are your I, I was noticing some of the construction of the raised beds in the photographs that you sent. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. When my children started at the local primary school, um, I had a. I, I used to help with the gardening club. They have a fantastic, fantastic outdoor area at the school where they grow vegetables. They grow a lot of native plants. There's a lot of knowledge that's been handed down to the children, which is fantastic. And I met a couple of mums through that and discovered they were doing a, a weekly gardening group, um, gardening in each other's vegetable patches every Friday. So um, they invited me along and it's just been a, a wonderful part of my life now. And I've learned a lot of uh, t- techniques and tips, um, particularly sort of growing in Australia yeah. uh, f- from from them. And that bed actually you're talking about was just from a, a fallen tree that had f- fallen in the outback. And, we, and me and my husband, we just cut it up and just put the logs together to yeah. make it a, a very simple uh, raised bed. But I have done the Kugel um, bed as well. And, and, it's, and a few of my, uh, I was introduced by a couple of my friends on the veg group. And that's actually worked really well. Okay, so describe that for listeners. Okay, I think it comes from Germany. I'm not mm-hmm. entirely sure. I think so too. Uh, but it's where you use rotted matter like branches and logs, and that's your base. And then you add manure and a, a bit of soil to that mix. And it just retains the nutrients and the, the, the moisture better. Mm-hmm. And it really, it does work. It's very effective. And I have found whenever I plant anything, I always put lots of organic matter 
and always put mulch as well just to keep everything in really does improve the condition of the soil greatly. And I think that the hugel culture and the way it's decomposing underneath at the bottom of, of mm. the bed, it, they're, they're a little bit deeper than normal and, and you bury all yeah. of these sticks and wood. And there's some great benefit of sequestering carbon by doing that as well. Yes. And yes. which is pretty fantastic. And then that yeah. slow decomposition yeah. is feeding your, your vegetables at the same time, which I've always wanted to try it and I never have. And so when I saw your pictures, I was like, maybe that's what yeah, she's you, doing. Yeah, you should. It's very easy. And it's definitely a very, very good idea. Your eldest is 17 and you've been there nine years. So she was just eight when you came. And so this is really the, the garden that they've grown up in as yeah. people. And that's pretty, pretty powerful. What would you say are your, your greatest kind of life memories in this garden? Gosh, so many. Um, often the quieter moments, actually. Uh, first thing in the morning with the the southern hemisphere light. I'd love to know what your light's like, but here it, it's so bright and it just has a different quality to it. And it's something I it really kind of struck me when we when we moved here from England. Uh, it just really lifts uh, lifts everything. So that's that's been wonderful. So usually first thing in the morning, I'll go and have a, a walk around the garden and I'll go and check my bees. Um, I'll go and see what's flowering. And that's that's a that's a constant um, a source of joy mm. and eating out in the garden. And now as, as the children are getting older, a lot of teen parties around the bonfire. Um, but it's really sweet, actually, because often it's the, the children's friends like comment on how lovely the garden is and they and that's really lovely um, uh, that, that they that they appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So the bees, there are beautiful pictures of your um, sort of casket-shaped uh, beehives. <laughs> talk about yeah. talk about your bees. When when did you start doing that? And and are you? It looks like you are the one who takes care of your bees. Mm. Yes, keeping bees goes back in. <laughs> my family because my my grandfather used to keep um bees in south africa i think he must have been one of the first sort of urban beekeepers because he used to uh, keep them camouflaged on a roof in johannesburg many many years ago uh and then my my dad kept bees when we lived in suffolk and he still has bees um but i actually didn't help dad much with his bees then or though I loved sort of watching them and 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 sort of and seeing him making all the honey that was really cool but I it was more that I really loved watching in insects in the garden and and wanted to uh, plant for pollinators particularly and and I thought you know we've got so many bees and butterflies coming in it'd be really fun to start you know, having a, a, a beehive in, in the garden. So I think probably about four years ago, well, no, it's about three years ago, uh, I got my first hive. And yeah, it's been very rewarding. And the another thing that's been very rewarding with the bees is they have amazing native bees here. There's a one called a blue banded bee, which has blue stripes on it. Mm. And they're a buzz pollinator. And they are they they particularly love pollinating the tomatoes and i have noticed in the last couple of years with how how 
you know, how much greater my tomatoes have been. And I'm sure it's because of the blue bandits doing yeah. such a good job. Yeah. And so do you just have the the one hive for the honeybees or? Yeah, I've got two hives, but I've only got at the moment, I've got, I've got a top bar hive, which is empty. And I've got a, a worry hive with a, a good, strong colony of honeybees in there. Mm. My top bar hive, I don't know if you saw the photos, but <laughs> I tried to put a swarm in, but they just didn't want to go in, in the spring. They didn't they didn't want to be in there. So they, they just flew off. I saw the I saw the swarm on the outside. <laughs> yeah, I saw the swarm on the outside, and and so I wasn't sure if it was going in or if it was coming out. <laughs> yeah, I tried I think four times to get them in there, but they just didn't want to. They didn't want to play ball. And it was so funny. I was thinking, there's so many amazing flowers for you right by by your hive, but right. no, they weren't. They yeah, they did their own thing. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. There are moments in the seasons when we are more aware than other times that we are all riding on and digging into one shared planet. For me, the seasonal solstices and equinoxes rank high in encouraging this awareness. I might be here, and you might be way over there, but when it comes right down to it, we are in this together. You look up at the same sun and moon and stars. I dig down into the same soil and water. Today, we are sharing this expanded awareness with Australian gardener Penn Pender, who enters the depths of winter as we enter the height of summer. We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. Hey, it's me again. While Sarah and I are taking our August break to rest a little and to think big, I have questions for you all. I really do. I'd love to ask two things of you. The first being that I need some feedback on a couple of questions. What do you love most about cultivating place? And alternately, what would you like to see us do better? Talk about more talk about differently. If you have responses or thoughts, please, please, please send them in to us by email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com, or post them as a comment on this week's program post at Instagram or Facebook. We have grown a lot these past three years, thanks to you. And if we're going to keep growing, it's only going to be with your help and input. For real, And I figure if you're still listening right now, then you are one of our primary garden people. And as such, you're the person whose thoughts and hopes and requests and critiques we really need. Because as I said earlier, we really are all in this together. Thank you in advance. Thank you for listening to this point in the program. I'm really humbled and happy you're here. Now, back to Penn, who is here with us too, just way over there from me. Now, are your parents and your or and or your in-laws are they still alive? Do are they able to come and take part in the garden and does it make your father happy that you're taking care of bees? Yeah, it does. He's he's he lives in in Suffolk. And, but he did come and visit um a few years ago and he did love it. Um and I think he is I think he is pleased that I'm keeping bees. Yeah. Uh, and my mum lives up in uh, near Aberdeen, up in Scotland. And um, 
she's been out a few times and, and really loves it here. And um, and I'm I'm brothers too, so they've you know they've they can say oh I can see why you love it here, sis. And uh, yeah, so that that's been really nice to to share share this. How often do you get back to England? Probably not as often as I'd like. Um, I'm well overdue a visit. I'm uh, I may be going this year, mm-hmm. so I've only been back a couple of times. Um, yeah. And do you find when you have been back or or even, you know, just in thinking about it, is there a different kind of gardening ethos there where you are in Australia than there was back at home in England? Yes, I think there is. Um, I think gardening here is, and probably kind of similar to where you, you live, you do have to sort of improve the soil a lot and it is harsher the environment is just as the plants are exposed to very intense heat during the summer mm-hmm. and so it is a different kind of uh, a garden different way of looking at things and I'm, I'm really sort of looking forward to over the next few years like I've just uh, that trip that I've just been on um, down at Wilson's Promontory seeing all the the native plants down there, particularly the banksia trees. Yeah. Um, I really, really want to, t- there's a lot of um, not very exciting conifers that have been planted in this garden and I gradually over the years I want to take them out and replace them with more natives uh, because the, the, the flora here is so rich and unique and I, it, it's it's taking me longer than I thought it would, um, but I, that's my long-term goal is to really um, plant, particularly native hedging and native, more native trees would be wonderful. Did it take a little bit of time to find the, the environment there beautiful? No, it didn't actually. It really, it... I don't know why, and I can't. I really can't explain it because I have lived in different countries. I've growing up, um, and I don't know, but it just felt very familiar. It almost felt like coming home here, yeah. which is which is strange because <laughs> I'd never been here before. Uh, but there's something very. There's a real beauty in, in the landscape. I find the gum trees here very sculptural, mm-hmm. um, and with the light and with the big skies and the and the the, the stars at night are incredible. You don't get as much light, light pollution where I am, um, so you do have these massive you know, skies full of stars, which is which is incredible. Yeah. So it yeah, it really does feed uh, me and on a lot of levels the landscape here. Yeah. What are your hopes for? I mean, I think you've you've told me your hopes for your garden mm. um, and this mm. idea of of integrating it even more into the native landscape and native plant palette. What what would be your hopes? I mean, you you clearly have gardened in several very different communities and cultures and um, climates, at least experienced gardens in very different areas. And so there, I am guessing there are commonalities and there are very specific, unique attributes in each. Mm-hmm. When you think about 
you know, your life as a gardener and these this range that you've experienced, are there things that you kind of hope for in the gardening world as a whole in the future? Um, yes, I, I really hope that because I, I garden organically and I, I really look after the soil and I don't put any chemicals on it and I I feel as a gardener that it's very you know we're, it's very precious this um, this earth that we're living on and so I do feel quite strongly that um, I'd love to see more of that practice become standard and I suppose that's why I love um, with the school gardening groups and the, these ideas being sort of passed on and mm. uh, that you know it's important to me that we really do appreciate and love uh, nature and the landscape around us. Um, that that is a really a, a big thing for me. Um, and I, I I think moving around so much as well and living in different areas on the planet has made me realize how uh, again what a, you know what an amazing planet that we live on and it's actually made me actually moving from Suffolk to to Australia has made me realize that you know uh, that we are very much connected mm. and I, I love that with Instagram too actually I really have enjoyed seeing different seasons in in, in, in different parts of the world uh, I actually really enjoy that yeah I do. I it do. It kind of makes it, yeah, it just makes me feel more connected mm-hmm. on a lot of levels. Yeah, and it feels, I think, uh, at least for me as well, like being able to see what's going on in your garden in Australia or mm-hmm. someone else's garden in England or, you know, in Japan, whatever it might be, it, it does make it clear that even though it's very far removed, we are all connected and mm. and it's that I think is is really powerful and hopefully does hold us all just a little bit more a um, little bit more accountable. Yes, absolutely. Now, I know you are an avid reader of garden books, Penn. This is one of the things yes. you and I have shared <laughs> very very happily our our addiction to garden books. If you had 3 books, old or new, that you would recommend other gardeners give a try. What would those three books be? Oh, gosh. Well, Beth Chatter, uh, there's a wonderful book where she's writing to uh, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Dear Friend and Gardener. That was a wonderful book. I love that book. Yeah, I love um, that book. I, I have not read that one, so I'm going to have to, now I'm going to have to go mm-hmm. buy a book. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I also really enjoyed Dan Pearson's book, Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, Wow. Um, very inspiring. Um, I'm also very excited. There's a brand new book uh, by Ginny Blum, which I've just been looking through. I haven't read it properly yet, but it's called The Thoughtful Gardener. And it looks fascinating and a lot of um, knowledge that she's been sharing, uh, which I can't really wait to really get sort of like stuck into that properly. Um, and she is going to be a guest on the program coming up. So, Ooh, fantastic. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Um, 
there's one of my favorite writers of all, but he's not a gardening writer, is Gerald Durrell. Love his descriptions of nature, and he's just sublime. So he's one of my faves for nature writers. Also, John Muir. Yeah. I love his writing, too. Well, I'm just so happy to talk to you, and I am, thank you, thank you so much for being on the program, Penn. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much as well, both of you, for you know making such an amazing program because honestly, I enjoy it so much. I really look forward to Thursdays listening to, to your, your programs. And it's just so weird how you just seem – I think we've just got the same gardening frequency or something because you just always seem to pick like, yes, I can't believe you're like – got that person or you know it's always so interesting so please keep doing it. Pen Pender is a gardener, mother, wife, voracious reader, community activist, cook, and novice potter living near Mount Macedon in Victoria, Australia. While I might never see kangaroos in my garden and she may never hear the sound of a congregation of acorn woodpeckers, we're still gardening together in some sense. As she digs in and looks appreciatively up at late winter over there, I dig in and look up in anticipation of a long, hot, late summer over here. Hi, Pen. As one of my favorite authors, Colin McCann, famously writes, let the great world spin. Happy season wherever you garden whatever sky you look up into. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. To subscribe to the Cultivating Place podcast so you never miss a conversation, as well as to read more about and see many photos from Penn Pender's garden, head over to cultivatingplace.com. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.